I got home from church one Sunday and uh, started talking to my wife about what's for lunch when the phone rang. It was Jenny Rogers who was here, I think, helping in the kids' men. And she said, hey, Jeff, what, what are you, what's up? What are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just figuring out lunch with my wife. She says, oh, do you think uh, your son Eli would like to join you for lunch? Eli was probably about three at the time. Turns out leaving your children, your small children here longer at the church with kids' men is not a part of intentional uh, parenting with your kids. Uh, they actually would like you to bring your kids home at times. I think that's the first week I was on the job as well. So, When I was growing up, my mom was incredible at trying to do all kinds of creative family devotions for my sisters and I. She decided that we were going to do family devotions as a New Year's resolution every day. So she said, okay, the one time I know you're all going to be home together is at 6.30 a.m. To three teenage girls, there were some very unholy attitudes at 6.30 a.m. and that experiment did not last very long. Families, isn't that something? Families, we're always trying to make them uh, better and more powerful and they're very important. So uh, as we kick off this uh, new teaching series, which I look forward to being a part of, uh, kicking off this morning, but I also look forward to learning from for myself. In fact, whether you're married or single, whether you've got a biological family with nieces and nephews or siblings or children, or whether your family is more a group of friends right now uh, in the dorm or on your team or uh, a neighborhood grouping or in your you know, senior center, whatever your family is right now, we believe there's something in this series. I think this series is important and practical and can help you. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're still undecided about following Jesus, I still think there's something practical in this series for you. So let me begin our series this way. When uh, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he uh, spoke these words. He said, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, we call this now the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, which means respected, worshipped, honored, be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I've been praying this prayer quite a bit lately because uh, it's really a genius of a prayer. Of course, what would you expect? Jesus created it, right? Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as I've reflected on that for a long time now, you know how his kingdom comes? I, I actually pray it this way. Lord, your kingdom come in me and in our church and in our city and in our family. Lord, your kingdom come there. Well, um, Jesus prayed this prayer, and then this is what our series is about, but how does the kingdom come? What does it actually mean? It comes in little moments, little pieces, a small piece at a time, one small kindness in the family, one generous deed in the family, one loving truth spoken with uh, love, one hug, one event of forgiveness, one act of helpfulness, that's how his kingdom comes. In this whole world, it comes one small piece at a time, and some of it is in our families. So this is exactly what Jesus taught us to pray, and this is exactly what our series is about. Our series is about bringing God's will and his kingdom into our families one small step at a time. So when you came into the room, 
You were handed like a, a set of lists, two lists, both sides. One side is little things we can do to bring his kingdom to our family, just ideas. Some of them will fit your family, some of them will not. And then on the back are some conversation starters. It's like if you want to start a conversation at your table, go ahead and uh, try, try one of these. In fact, we have Sunday lunch today, and I'll probably be pulling out this and on the back saying, hey, let's talk about this. Now, I know that thy kingdom come into our family is not what it feels like in all of your families today. I know that. I know some of you are brokenhearted about what's happening in your families. I know some of you are um, living through incredibly tough days, painful, and I understand that. Um, but I think even in that situation, we can take uh, these kinds of small steps but as always, the power and the motivation for taking these steps comes from God, right? God is faithful. God lives in us by his spirit. How do we take these steps? How do we bring his kingdom? It begins with God. It begins with God. And Jesus, again, Luke chapter 15, he had three metaphors for God, which are favorites of mine, three parables that talk about the power of God and who God is. And three stories in Luke 15. Story number one is a widow loses a coin. Right? Remember this story? And the widow lights a lamp, and she goes looking around her house, and she finds the coin. And when she finds it and puts it with the others, she calls her neighbors and has a party. That's one picture of God. Second picture of God is like a shepherd loses a sheep. And the shepherd leaves the 99, and he goes out in the bushes and the hills and stuff, and he finds his sheep, and he brings it home. And what does he do? He has a party with the other shepherds. Right? And Jesus said, that's another picture of God. And then he said, third story, same chapter. Father loses a human being, a son, a child. Father waits and waits and wait. He doesn't go out in the bushes and look for a son. He doesn't go to the city and look for a son. In this case, the father waits on the front porch, and he waits and he waits and he waits. And when the son chooses to return, the father welcomes him with open arms and throws a party. And Jesus said, that's also a picture of your faithful and good God. So let's take a look at this, uh, Luke 15. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me your share of the estate. So his father divided his property between them. Now, I want you to notice, this is a new stage of family life. The father wasn't expecting this stage. He didn't see it coming. It's like all of a sudden, outside of the norm of his culture, the son says, hey, I've got my own idea. I'm going to go my own way. Dad, I want half of my estate. Wow. One of the things I want us to think about today is all the stages of family that your friendships and your family go through. So let's go on. The next verse. Not long after that, the younger son still has his plan, his scheme, his hustle. The younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. How painful would this be as a dad? How disappointing would this be? And here's the thing. I think all of us in our family lives have stages like this, like that don't go exactly the way we planned, and that hurt some other family members. Next verse. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, 
who sent him to his, to, to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. Things went, for this son, went from bad to worse. And haven't we seen that in some stages? A child wanders off, or even we wandered off as kids, and then it went from bad to worse. Hunger, pain, loss... We've had family members make really bad choices. Okay, now stay with the story. When he came to his senses, he said, in his mind, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set off and go back to my father and say to him, now he left with a hustle and a scheme, right? Now he's coming back with one. This is so interesting to me. He's got his own scheme. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. So he left with his scheme, out of bounds, and he comes back with his scheme. So interesting. I think you and I find ourselves in that place often. My scheme often, often, many mornings, is father... I'll do better today. I'll earn my way back so that I deserve your love, which is really what the son is saying there. Next verse. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. I think the son was a long ways off geographically, all the way down the driveway. I think he was a long ways off relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. He was still coming back with a scheme. But the father was ready. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, this is incredible to me, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So his son comes back with a scheme, but the father's decided in advance what he's going to do. He doesn't sit on the porch and while the kid walks up the driveway, he thinks, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this situation? I'll wait and see how sad or how sorry he is. No, that's not what the God does. The father says, I'm going to decide in advance how I always treat my sons. And the father reinstates his son and he has a party. Who has a father like this? Those of you who are fathers... Put yourself in this father's place on the front porch. How do you respond? Those of you who had a dad growing up, how would that dad respond? Think about that for a minute. I think the primary point of Jesus' story is this. You and I, every day, have a heavenly father just like this. I think you are the prodigal son or daughter many mornings of your life. I know I am. I look at yesterday, and I think, 
I blew it. I totally did my own thing. I totally didn't even think about God. And then this morning, I come back with my own hustle and plan. God, I'm so sorry. I'm going to do better today. I'm going to lift you up in my priorities today. I'm going to, like, pray a little more today. And God just brushes all that stuff aside. And he says, you were my son yesterday, and I was your faithful God yesterday, and I'm going to be your faithful God today. And I'm good, and I care about you, and I love you unconditionally, and I especially love you when you need it most and you don't deserve it. I have to say that again. God says, this is the message of the morning. This is the message of the stories in the, in the Gospel of Luke. This is it. It's like, I love you totally because, says God, I'm good and I'm faithful. And I love you on the days you don't deserve it at all. Now, once we deeply get that about God, get how faithful and good he is to us, then that changes how we do family. It changes how we walk into the next stage of family. It's hard to go from stage to stage in family, right? Um, it's hard to do that. And if we can understand how trustworthy and good God is, then we can reflect a little bit of that back to our family, and we can then trust him. Have you noticed in family life, again, whether it's biological and a lot of us are sitting in biological families, or whether it's your workmates or your teammates, no matter what form family takes, if you're single with nieces or nephews or you're single with no real biological family, and I know there are people here uh, who really have no real biological family around, um, and some of their church friends are their family. I, I know some of you. Some of you, you might consider your family a love-hate relationship with your fantasy football guys. Um, your church friends, whatever your form of family, each time you have to move into unknown stages, we're always newbies. Each new phase brings a new challenge of which it requires new amounts of trust. My wife, I was telling her about my teaching this week, and she said, yeah, she, she's always worked with young moms and moms raising kids, and she said, if young moms wait until you're comfortable sending your child to kindergarten, they'll probably be 15. If you wait until you're comfortable with your kid riding their new bike without extra tires down the street, or if you wait until you're ready for them to take the moped out or drive to the high school, or dads, if you wait until you're comfortable sending your daughter to prom or walking her down the aisle at her wedding, you've probably waited too long. I'm watching my grandkids, two of them right now, choose their college future next year. And I've been thinking about that. That is by far the largest decision they've ever had to make in their lives to this point. And it feels even larger than it actually is. And like, that's like a new stage for them. I have to make this huge decision. And then those of us watching, we have opinions. But we need to trust God that he's going to work in their journey just like he worked in our journey. So the stage of having your first baby. Oh, my goodness. 
I remember coming home from the hospital with our first baby and going, do these hospital people even know how much I don't know? They're actually going to trust me while they were trusting my wife, really, with this baby? Each stage takes us into an uncomfortable, which feels a more uncontrollable new challenge. Just when you think you know how to parent teenagers, or you're through the stage and you, all, you realize, I never have known how to raise teenagers, and then they become young adults. And you go, wow, how do you parent young adults? And then the young adults become parents. Then you're going, I have opinions about how to raise kids. I'm going to choose to keep them to myself. In each and every stage of family life, though, we have a faithful God who walks with our family loved ones into the new stage. And that's how we can walk into it with trust. Oswald Chambers, one, one of my favorite authors, he wrote the book that a lot of us have read over and over again, My Utmost First Highest. Highest. He says this, we must allow God elbow space. Elbow space. I remember working with my dad under the hood of a car, and I would want to see exactly what he was doing under there, and he would always say, Dave, give me a little elbow space here so I can do what I need to do. And we need to give God elbow space to do what he needs to do, whether it's exactly what would be our plan or not doesn't matter because God is the one who is good and trustworthy. We increase our trust of God in the family by focusing upon how he's been faithful in our past and how he's kept his promises. And we can look into the scriptures, yes. We can look into our past, and we can look into our current life and see God's faithfulness. Here's a verse. Some of you might want to make this your family verse this month. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, my goodness. You're going into a new stage, you're sending your kid to kindergarten, or you're sending your kid to preschool, or you're sending your kid to college, or you're uh, trying to communicate with your uh, son or daughter who lives in California now. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. Not trust in them. No, trust in him. Trust God. Find joy and peace watching your kindergartner. Or your 15-year-old drive. Or back out of the garage or whatever. Here's another verse you might want to take. I wanted to give you a choice. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding of how things should go. I don't understand why things go the way they go in families. I don't. I don't understand. When my kids struggle, or your son or daughter is born with a special challenge that you never saw coming, or this family member steps out of bounds, or hurts me, or cheats me, I don't understand the three traffic deaths in our family. I don't. I don't understand. I only groan. 
But you know what? I can still trust a God who is good and trustworthy. I wonder if any of you, like me, find yourself bargaining with God at the end of the driveway. Uh, I'm always doing this, right? I remember when our twins were born 46 years ago, and the doctor came out. He was a friend of mine, and he said, Dave, probably one of your twins probably won't live. I'm not sure which one, but probably uh, they were so damaged in the birth. And man, did I bargain with God. I was at the end of his driveway, and I was saying, anything you want, God. I'll give you my money. I'll give you my life. I'll become a missionary. I'll do anything you want. And God just brushed that aside. said, I'll be faithful. You can trust me. You can trust me whether they actually live or their new home is in heaven. You can trust me, Dave. I was on my treadmill this week uh, trying not to think about being on the treadmill, right? Those of you who are on the treadmill, that's what we do. We're on there, but we try not to think of it. So I watched some teachings from Orchard that I uh, hadn't seen. And then for some reason, I pulled up the funeral of Ben, Charlie, and Bailey that happened in this room seven years ago. And, uh, you know, we wanted it to be a celebration. So I was on that treadmill, and uh, I was going. I got in a lot of steps that day. Um, And I was with the celebration, celebration, celebration. And then the closing scene of the video was there three caskets being taken out of this room, back by that door. Somehow the camera caught it. I just started weeping. I had celebrated for over an hour. And at the end, I just wept. Three caskets. I I still don't understand that. And you have stuff in your life you don't understand too, right? Painful, hard, difficult things. But we have a God who's trustworthy. So let's lay aside our bargaining with God and let's focus on the trustworthiness. We shouldn't be surprised that things get hard. Jesus said things were going to get hard. This is one of my verses. I use it a lot, and I think about it a lot. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace, said Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Aha, I have overcome the world. So let me say a couple things about increasing trust as you live in family. Number one, trust God starts well before the challenge. You need to be honing your skills in trusting before the big challenge comes, right? Building your house on the rock before the storm comes. So you and I today, we ought to be building our trust by focusing on what a faithful God we've had in our past, our current, and our future. Number two, trust is increased by remembering God's faithfulness. That's how we do it. The Bible over and over men's, remember, remember when you were a kid, remember when you were a young man, remember when I was with you in this, remember. And number three, God's faithfulness is different than our desires or our plans. We have to give God elbow room to work in our lives in ways we don't get. That's the hardest one. Remember the prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know what it is you have to trust God with this morning as you leave. But I I know living in families, raising families, having deep friendships in a family of friends requires trusting. Not so much trusting them, but trusting a God who's in heaven, who's ready to give you a hug this morning. God is good. God is faithful. I've learned to pray a lot less prescriptive. I don't think I should be telling God what to do. I think I should be telling God, Lord, help me see you in what you're doing. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, help me give you elbow room to work. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's hard for us not to want to control stuff. It's hard for me. I'm always wanting to control stuff, including I want to control you. And Father, help us remember this morning that you are good and faithful and we can trust you and we would never be able to control you. And it wouldn't be a good thing if we could. And help us just step back and see you at work. And Father, some of us are in very hard places. We're watching parents age. We're watching teenagers march off in freedom. We're watching uh, some of us even watching marriages fall apart. Father, but help us give you room to work and help us Leave here with a new focus on your faithfulness and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.